Good morning. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a, as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be, may be, may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's good to be with you today. We're, we're back in uh, this series that we're doing about... Um, really our covenant commitments, who we are as a church, what, what's represented in uh, our church covenant, something that, that all of the members of the church um, have signed and, and have agreed to. Uh, one of the ways that we talk about our church covenant, uh, and we hope this is a helpful tool for you, I think it, at first it can be confusing, but once you get used to it, I think it's, it's really helpful, is our covenant wheel. And we've been showing this, and actually we just redesigned it um, to, to just give a little bit of a new look to it and uh, hopefully beauty to it. But um, we, uh, it, it has kind of these three layers. And, and if you weren't here on January 1st, I talked about those layers. Uh, I'm not going to go through them today, but we have a conviction layer, a value layer. But the, the outside kind of layer where the, the pictures are is really the layer of behaviors or what we call rhythms, rhythms of grace, rhythms of um, that should be true of our life, rhythms of life that we have as a covenant people together. And so we're moving kind of out of that first gospel piece of the pie uh, into the kingdom piece. And in the next few weeks, as you see there, we're going to talk about serving the church, how we use our gifts to serve one another, to build the 
the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about um, relational discipleship, what it means for us to gather together. Of course, all of this is, is in relation to these values, who we are as a kingdom family when we gather, who we are as kingdom ambassadors as we scatter. But today, I want to talk about supporting the church or kingdom generosity. Now, with this text that we looked at in 2 Corinthians, what it's telling us is that generosity is actually for your good. <laughs> your generosity is good for you. And, and I, I want to talk about this today. I, I think that how we've talked about generosity in the church has been misleading. Um, and it's something we need to talk about. You know, we live in an age where I believe that greed is one of the greatest sins that people deal with. Greed is one of the sins that I think we, we deal with most, but we, we rarely see it. We live in a very wealthy age. We live in an age that's very much defined by money, right? Your personal success, right? Your value, your identity, in large part, is defined, we can close the image down now, is in large part, is defined by how much money you have, how much money you make. I mean, that's the age that we live in. And I'm not necessarily condemning the age at large. It's a very money-driven age. But what I'm trying to, to point out here is that even though we live in this age with, with many, many warnings about wealth and the abuse of wealth and not finding your identity in money, even though we find ourselves in an age like that, and on top of that, even though we, we see in the Scripture so many warnings about money, you know, the, the Bible actually warns us about money and the abuse of money and greed pretty much more than anything else. I mean, this is Jesus' number one topic, to warn people of money and what it can do to you and how it can really corrupt your heart. Not, not, not that money itself is, is, is evil, but the, the love of money and, and how greed, I mean, the sin of greed, how it can be a dominating force in your life. So even though we live in an age, I mean, just think about this. We live in an age that's defined by money, wealth, personal success. That's how you get your identity. The Bible gives warning after warning after warning about the problems of money and greed and what it can do to you. Yet, and I just want you to hear this, I never hear anyone say, you know, I'm struggling with greed. <laughs> nobody ever confesses that sin. No, nobody, I mean, people come to me as a pastor I mean, people will just come to me out of the blue, people I don't even know, but just because they know I'm a pastor, they'll say, I need to confess something to you. And they'll confess very personal things. I mean, it's not like they're just, you know, it's not like they're not confessing personal things. It's very, very personal. But nobody ever said, hey, look, <laughs> I feel like I'm spending all of my money on myself. I feel like I'm never satisfied with the amount of money I have. Nobody ever confesses that stuff to me. You know, we have a counseling center. Same thing. People go to the counseling center and they talk about lust, and they talk about anger, and they talk about bitterness. They talk about I mean, very personal things. So again, it's not, like, it's not like we're just up here. They're talking about like the deepest things of their heart. Nobody ever says, hey, would y'all help me with greed? Would y'all help me with this love of money that I have? It's interesting. And again, Bible gives warning after warning. We live in an age that is defined by money, yet I think in large part, we're, we're kind of blind to this. We're going to get to the Second Corinthians passage, but a passage I want to look at really quick that, that I think speaks directly at this is Matthew 6. This is Jesus um, in the Sermon on the Mount. 
And it's a very famous passage. You've probably heard this passage before. Um, but I just want to show you something. So do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And again, this is a very famous passage for where your treasure is. I think this is a very important passage. We're going to come back to it. Your heart will be also. There's a lot of connection between, of course, treasure and heart. But here's what's so interesting about the passage. This is what I'm trying to show you all right now. It's verse 22 and 23. This is the part that everybody kind of skips over. Let me, let, me go, let me go ahead and skip ahead. I'll do what we normally do. We skip ahead to verse 24 because it's easier to understand. So we're, we, you know, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, right? So money passage down here, money passage right here, but in the middle, you have 22 and 23, and it's a weird passage. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness. So money passage, money passage. In the middle there, there's this passage about having healthy eyes. I mean, what, what is this passage about? Well, there's a couple of different, I mean, commentaries will say a couple of different things, but I think what this is saying is it's saying what I was just saying. <laughs> it's saying greed, the love of money, is one of those things that we're typically blind to. If, you, if your eye is healthy, right, if you can see these things rightly, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Greed is one of those things that it's very easy to be blind to, it's to, it's to be committing this sin and never realize it, which is actually a terrifying thing. You know, we have a lot of people that have accountability groups, and often in those accountability groups, again, very personal things. I'm struggling with lust. I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with pride or whatever it is. <laughs> How often in your accountability group you say, here's my books. Do you think I'm spending too much money on myself? Do, do you think I'm being generous enough? Do, do you think I'm handling my money in a way that, would be pleasing to the Lord. And so with that kind of in mind, let's go back to the 2 Corinthians passage. It's really saying to us that generosity is actually really, really good for you. And three reasons that I think generosity can be really good for you and I want to talk about today. Give to love Jesus more. Give to love the people of Jesus, to love his people more. And give to know Jesus more. So give to love Jesus more. Now, the context of the passage in 2 Corinthians, there was persecution. Now, one of the most amazing things that if you're a historian of, of any sort, you should read about because it's fascinating, is how you know, Christianity, this obviously what we are a part of, it's come to dominate so much of the world. It was born into a world. It should never have made it. It was born into a world that hated it. It was born into a world where it was largely persecuted. Now, I'm, I'm sure many of you have heard of Roman persecution, the Romans persecuting Christians, and that was true. It happened, it began in the 60s AD. But before that, a lot of the persecution that Christians faced was, Christian, was, was persecution from Jewish people, the Jewish persecution. And that's the kind of persecution that's going on 
in this Corinthians passage that we're looking at today. It's the kind of persecution that, ironically, Paul himself, who wrote this letter, was a part of before he was radically converted to faith in Jesus. And so the, the persecution was, was most heavy in Jerusalem. The Jews were persecuting Christians in Jerusalem, and so the Christians couldn't get jobs, and the church didn't have enough money to really survive or to pay its ministers or to do any good work, or they couldn't really care for the people in their midst. There was members of the church that, that needed very practical things. And so Paul is saying, look, we're all connected to the church in Jerusalem here. We're a part of a broader church, and so let's give to them. And what he does first here that's, <laughs> that's really interesting is he appeals to uh, these other churches that were giving offerings. Now, he's writing here, of course, to the church at Corinth. And, of course, Corinth was a wealthy city. If you're familiar with kind of ancient Greece, Corinth, it was, I mean, it was kind of like Atlanta, actually. It was a, it was a travel hub. Uh, it was a place of great travel. It was right on this peninsula, and people went through there all the time. It wasn't the largest city in ancient Greece, but it was a very large city, very important, and it was very wealthy. It was very business-driven. Now, what he does, though, is he says here, I mean, we'll just look at the text up here. Verse 1, he says, I want you to know the grace of God that's been given among the churches, and this is key, of Macedonia. Now, Macedonia, if you're like, well, what are those? They're churches that you've probably heard about, like the church at Philippi or the church of Thessalonica or the church of Berea. These are Macedonian churches. And Macedonia was smaller. It was poorer. It wasn't insignificant, but it would have been like Greenville, South Carolina or Jackson, Mississippi, right? And so what, what Paul's doing here to the Corinthians, which are more like the Atlantans of the day, is saying, you need to hear about the, Jackson, the people in Jackson, Mississippi, and of course, that would have gotten the Atlantans' attention. Like Jackson, Mississippi, we don't really think about that town that much. You know, we're Atlanta. And Jackson, Mississippi. I mean, do they even have any money over there? That's his point. He says, "For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty, <laughs> you know, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, and of course, beyond their." means, as I can testify. They gave it their own accord. And then I love this, verse 4, begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They, they wanted to be a part of this effort. They, they, they saw that they were a part of something bigger. They wanted to give so they could support their brothers and sisters there in Jerusalem. And then, here's the key, verse 5, it says, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Now, this is natural, right? They gave, they were so generous because they loved Jesus so much. They'd given themselves to the Lord. Their identity was in the Lord. They had given themselves to his work, to his purposes, to his mission, to his life. And therefore, when they heard of an opportunity to give, when they heard of an opportunity to participate in ministry going on in Jerusalem, they quickly jumped on it. So, so there is a principle. You know, your, your, your generosity is very connected to your love for the Lord, and, and, and there's, a, there's a sense where as you love the Lord, you will be generous. But there's also, uh, the opposite also seems to be true in Scripture. And I want to go back to the Matthew 6 passage. And the opposite principle is, if you're generous, you'll love the Lord more. This is what Jesus seems to be saying up here. Now we're back in, um, 
Matthew 6, this is what Jesus is saying here in verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I had a friend, this is when I pastored in Birmingham, I had a friend, he went to Clemson. He went to Clemson. And, but he sent three of his children to the University of Alabama. And it's wonderful children, three precious children. And he sent them to Alabama. And I said to him one day, you know, I said, hey, man, man, your heart must bleed orange. You know, he went to Clemson. And he said, no, it used to. Now it bleeds crimson. <laughs> and he said, I've sent too much of my money to the University of Alabama. But that, that, that is the principle. I mean, what he is saying is not untrue. You, you want to get interested in something, get invested in something. I mean, you, you get this principle. I mean, what Jesus is saying here, I mean, you invest in a stock, and you'll start following that company. <laughs> you'll say, how's that company doing? Are they doing okay? Are they Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You, you get interested in the Lord and in his work, and you'll love him more. You know, Paige, my, my wife Paige, when she was in college, you know, her father, church planter, didn't, I mean, didn't have a lot of money, couldn't send her to college. And so when she went to college, she worked three jobs. I mean, she worked three jobs while going to college, three part-time jobs. And, of course, she was, like, working it. You know, she had one that would pay for her food, and she worked at the library. I mean, Paige was a librarian. That's kind of funny for me to think about. But, uh, but anyway, she worked at the library so she could study. I mean, she, she kind of figured out the system, and she, but she worked three different part-time jobs. Paid her way through college. Got, got out of college. She, she had a $1,500 loan. That's it at the end of her college. Basically paid her way, debt freaks over $1,500 all the way through college. I'm amazed by that. Now in the process of that, okay, her church was doing a building campaign and she made a $3,000 pledge to that. I mean, in the process of working three jobs, trying to pay herself through college, she makes this $3,000 pledge to her church's building campaign. And she will tell you, I mean, this has been so encouraging to me, that, that that act of generosity, stepping out, having to trust the Lord, totally defined her faith. It, it totally revolutionized her love for the Lord. The point I'm trying to make here is your generosity and your love for the Lord are deeply connected. You know, if you aren't invested into the kingdom of God and the kingdom work financially, then that's evidence that you don't really trust the Lord. You're not really trusting him. You're, you're trusting money more than you're trusting God. Again, back to the passage here. They gave themselves first to the Lord. They, they, were, they, were, they, they trusted God first, and then they gave themselves to us. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You know, there's two things that are sort of like generosity that we see in the Bible. One is a fast, and, and one is Sabbath. Why do you fast? When you fast, you're saying you know, my sustenance, my life, what I'm ultimately dependent on is not food. What I'm ultimately dependent on is God. When you Sabbath, what are you doing? You're saying, that's why it's hard to Sabbath, right? You're saying, I, what I most trust in, what I ultimately trust in here is not my work. It's not my work that provides for me. It's God that provides for me. And so I'm going to stop working, even though it's hard to stop working. I'm going to stop working and worship, and, and I'm going I'm to direct my life to the Lord. I'm going to remind myself in this act that, that everything that I have comes from the Lord. It's the same thing when you're generous. You're, you're saying, I, I trust God. 
My, my, my heart is first with God. I'm gonna part with my money. I'm gonna trust the Lord with my money and, and so that I can know the provision of God. You know, I was having a, a conversation with a friend the other day. This is a guy that, um, he got into a little bit of a fix. He's an old friend of mine and I, I was able to kind of help him. And um, he, he, I was grateful. This was a few years ago and he, he, he'd just gotten a job and he's kind of getting himself back on his feet. And he, and he said, hey, I just wanted to thank you. He said, man, you, when I was really in a pinch, you helped me. And, he, and then he said, I want to be so generous too when I can. When, when I can, I want to be generous too. And I said, listen, bud, Generosity is a decision you make every day. It's not something you do when you can. You, you, you have something. You know, be, to be generous with your life is not just the decision that you make when you're in abundance. That, that's what Paul's saying here. He's like, they gave in their poverty. They, 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 but their life was first with the Lord. And, and, and so I said, generosity, it's trusting the Lord every day with what you have. Trusting the Lord exactly where you are. I want to kind of debunk a myth. I hear this a lot. Well, when I have more, I'll be more generous. When I get more, I'll be more generous. And I want to just tell you right now, if that's where you are, you'll never be generous. I'm just going to go and tell you how it is. If you're just saying, well, you know, I only make this much now, but if I could make this much, then I would be generous. I'll just say, if that is your mentality, you will never be generous. You won't. If you can't trust the Lord with little things, you'll never trust him with big things. You know, and I'll, just, I'll just work it out for you. I mean, like, let's say that we'll just use the tithe as a principle here. If you're making $50,000 a year. Now, again, a tithe for you, if you're making $50,000 a year, is about $100 a week. Now, again, that may seem like a great sacrifice. But, you know, when you give it $100 a week, it's like, well, think about all the things you spend $100 on every week. I mean, you, you might spend $100 filling up your car with gas. And so if it, it kind of seems small if you think about it that way. But then let's say you're making $250,000. And a lot of people say, well, if I can make $250,000 a year, then I would, it'd be easy to give. Well, then all of a sudden, the tithe is $25,000 a year. And you're thinking, well, $25,000 a year? Like, I could buy a whole car with that. I mean, I could never give that much. But think of all the investments I could make. The point I'm trying to make here is, it, here's the point. There is no transformation by compensation. No one has ever been transformed for the good by making more money, usually. If you won't be generous when you have a little, you won't be generous when you have much. Jesus says it this way, Luke 16. One who is faithful with very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a little will be dishonest and much. And he, and he concludes it the same way that he concludes the Matthew passage, you cannot serve God and money. If you aren't being generous with your money, and then here's the deal, you're serving your money. You're not trusting the Lord. You're not trusting God. And, and money is so short. It's so temporal. It's not ultimate. This is why Jesus says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal but rather lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. You know, last week, I know Dr. Smith preached two different sermons for you guys, but in one of the sermons that he preached, he talked about a monopoly box analogy. 
And it was a great analogy. I mean, he talked about how, it, you know, when he was little, he played Monopoly and he was so proud of his money that he would make and the real estate he would get. And he said, but at the end of the game, all the money would go back in the box. And, and he was giving the analogy of what life is like, right? We, we, you know, you can't take it with you. But, but, but interestingly, <laughs> there is a kind of investment that you kind of can take with you. I, I think Jesus is saying here, store, live your life to store up treasures in heaven. Live your life toward the Lord. Live your life with a heart toward the Lord because your, your ultimate destiny is to be with the Lord and that you can enjoy these things with the Lord forever. This is the kind of investment that's rooted in a love and delight for God. And that's the question. <laughs> is God your delight? Do you love the Lord? Do, do, you, do you trust him to take care of you or do you just trust money? And your level of generosity will tell you everything you need to know about the answer to that question. So generosity is good for, good for you. First of all, give to love Jesus more. But second, give to love his people more. Give to love his people more. Paul is anchoring this appeal. And the fact that these Christians are a part of a body, they're a part of a local body, they're at Corinth, they're a part of a broader body, right? There's the church at Macedonia, the church at Jerusalem. They're, they're not just individuals. They're a part of a people. And the analogy that he gives here, it's really, really helpful. The analogy he gives here, I'll have to go way to the bottom here, is in the end, the very little last part that he gives, this is down in 2 Corinthians verse 15, he says, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Now what Paul is doing here is he's pointing to an Old Testament story. And it was the gathering of the man in the wilderness, Exodus 16. The people would wake up, all this bread, all this food for them, just out there in the wilderness. And so what would the people do? And it's kind of obvious what they would do. They would run out and they would gather it. And the young people, the healthy people, the energetic people, the fast people could gather a lot of manna. The older people, the slower people, couldn't, you know, maybe the person that might have had a handicap or something, they couldn't gather as much, right? But, but everyone participated. Everyone participated. Some, some gathered much, some gathered little. But what they would do, because they understood they were a part of the people, what they were commanded to do is they would pool it. <laughs> they would pool it all together, and it was divided based on the need, whoever had need. And that's why the, the person who gathered much, he got what he needed. There was nothing left over person who was only able to gather a little had no lack. They got plenty. They had what they needed. They were a community. They were concerned for one another. Everyone participated. Everyone gathered. But the ones who actually could do more actually carried the burden, in a sense, a little bit more. That's how a community works. Now, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks. But this is so important. I, I want you all to get this. It's been lost in the Christian life. You know, Christianity, for a long time, you know, when I grew up, I heard this phrase all the time, and it's an important phrase. I'm not critiquing the phrase, but I am critiquing the misinterpretation of the phrase. When I grew up, I would hear this phrase all the time, a personal relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus. You know this phrase? Now, we, we, we are invited by God to have a personal relationship with Jesus. That is a beautiful thing, that you can know Jesus Sadly, what that has come to mean in our culture is not a personal relationship with Jesus where you really know Jesus deeply. You know him deeply, and he knows you deeply, but a personalized relationship with Jesus. 
It's come to mean this like Jesus is whoever I want him to be. It's personalized. It's, it's Jesus for you. It's, it's Jesus can be whatever kind of Jesus you need him to be. No, that, that's, <laughs> that's nowhere in scripture. We're not invited into a personalized relationship with Jesus. We're invited into a personal relationship with you, to know him, to be intimate with him. But, but in a personal relationship with Jesus, we're invited to love the people that he loves, to, to, to love the family that he is calling together, the people that he is calling together. That, that's who we are called to be a part of, a family, a people, a community of faith. This is so central to the Christian life, and it's largely been lost. How does this work out in giving? Now, some people here, you're going to make a lot of money. That's great. Some of us not as much, and that's fine. That doesn't define us. That's, that's not where our importance or identity comes from. And, and when we give, when we're generous, we pull all that together. And, and so I just want you to say this. Man, if you gave a ton of money to the ministry of Christ's covenant, or you were only able to give a very little, we, we share, in a sense, equally with what God is doing through the ministry of the kingdom through our church. No one receives greater honor or lesser honor. It, it, it's not the amount, but the, but the sacrifice that matters to the Lord. Luke 21, Jesus looked and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put two small copper coins in. And he said, truly, I tell you, the poor widow has put more than all of them, for they contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, she put in all she had to live on. She trusted that God would provide now again, I, I, those of you who have great means, I hope you understand that's not, that's not where your importance comes from. Now it is stewardship. God is asking you to steward those things. And I hope you steward those things well for his purposes. And again, that's true for all of us. But the, the ability to make a lot of money is an incredibly wonderful thing as long as God is at the end of it and not yourself. The ability to make a lot of money will ruin you if he is not the end. But if God is at the end of that, it can be a wonderful thing that you can use for his kingdom as we are a part of a body. Whatever you do, worship, prayer, parenting, making money, do it all for the glory of God. And when we give, we are reminded that we are a part of a people together. You know, something's been lost in our kind of current moment, our current economy. And it's, it's fine, it, but... but I want to kind of confess that, that I need to do a better job leading, that we need to do a better job as a church kind of reminding ourselves of this. You know, in, in churches all growing up and even to modern day, we, we had this wonderful pass the plate moment. And it was really a great moment of worship because it kind of reminded us we're all in this thing together. We're all supporting ministry together. Nowadays, of course, uh, we mostly give online. People mostly give digitally, which is, you know, how people move money around these days. And that's fine. You know, economies change. When people mostly gave barley, they didn't like give it in the plate. I mean, pe there's been different means that the church has, uh, you know, given generously. Economies change sometimes. And we've gone through a dramatic change in the last several years in how we kind of move money around. The point I'm trying to make is we need to do a better job reminding ourselves of this, that, that we are a people bringing our means together to advance the kingdom of God. When we give, we are reminded that we're a part of a people. We're not alone. It's not personalized. We're called into a community with one another. And not only is our giving a reminder that we're a part of the people, our giving is also towards a people. 
What else do we give to? I mean, what else do we do with ministry money, with kingdom generosity? It's, it's, it's giving that is toward a people. We give to things like children's ministry, or even right now our precious children are being discipled to love Jesus. We give to things like the Covenant Institute. Last week we had this wonderful event with Michael Kruger where I, I hope and pray that our hearts were uh, moved toward the Lord, confidence in his word. We give to things like this building where we can worship and gather where ministry happens every day. We give to ministries like Help the Persecuted, helping persecuted brothers and sisters of ours all around the world. We give to local churches like Iglesia Amistad, a, a Spanish-speaking congregation that we've been able to support that meets actually at 5 p.m. over at the Otley building. We're so grateful to be a part of them, a really amazing story. And, and this is something that you did. I, we, I don't even get to tell you these stories enough, but you did this. There was the immigration services called us. There was this family that landed in Atlanta from El Salvador. They literally had one bag of stuff for the whole family. And you, with your amazing generosity, were able to get them a place to live, get them furniture, get them clothing, take care of their basic, get them settled. We were able to connect this family with this church. And from all we can tell now, this family is walking with the Lord. They're walking with Jesus through the ministry of this church. I mean, that, that all happens through your generosity. I met this guy in England a couple weeks ago. And this guy, he's really an amazing guy. I was, I was fascinated by him. I, I, I want to keep up with him. I want to be friends with this guy. He's just how he's living his life. He's been very successful in business, and he basically is leveraging all of his wealth to planting 100 churches in the major cities of Europe. That's like, he is leveraging his influence and, you know, the wealth that he's made in, in business. He's done a lot of really cool things um, to plant, trying to plant 100 churches. Of course, he can't do that. I mean, he's amassed a good amount of wealth, but it's not enough to do that in an ongoing basis. And so he's looking for partners all the time. And, and he, he talked to me. He says, are you guys engaged? It's like, we're engaged in Paris. And so he reached out to his contacts in Paris, who he is engaged with. And they're like, oh, man, Christ's covenant, they're awesome. They have been so amazing. And I was just like, ah, how about that? Look at our church at work. Giving and being a part of church plants all over the world. The, the, the end of what we do, when we give, we are reminded that we're a part of a people, but we give for a people so that people can come to know the Lord, so that people can be in fellowship with God. You know, Friday was Liberation Day, which is a, a very important day for our Jewish friends. They remind themselves, it's a remembrance of the concentration camps. That when they were liberated from concentration camps 78 years ago on Friday. I think Auschwitz in particular, but they, they celebrate that as the liberation from all concentration camps. And you know, we're talking about all of this and that, and, and um, Schindler's List came up. It's a very powerful movie. If you've never seen it, there was a. If you've never seen it, Oscar Schindler, he's played by Liam Neeson in the movie. Um, he he saves twelve hundred Jewish people from the Holocaust by employing them in his factory. And there's this very powerful scene. It's the the very end. The, the concentration camp's about to be liberated. He was a member of the Nazi party, so he had to flee because the allies were coming. And so he has to leave, and he's leaving the people, and they give him this ring. And Ben Kingsley plays kind of the, the, the leading Jewish man in the movie. And the ring had inscribed in it, he who saves one life saves the world entire. And they're shaking hands, and it's this very warm moment. And... Liam Neeson looks at Ben Kingsley and he says, very softly, I could have got more. I could have got more. 
And, he, and you know, here they are thanking him, all these people that he saved. And, and what is on his mind? I could have got more. I could have got more. It's a very powerful scene. He says, this car, it could have been 10 more. This pen, this golden pen, it could have been two more lives. I could have got more. The point I'm trying to make here is not that you can't have a nice car or whatever. The point I'm trying to make is, are you living your life in light of the day that you'll be with the Lord? Is that what's framing your life? I mean, is that what's framing your time, your energy? You know, if our life on earth is this much of our life, and if our life with God is this much of our life, are, are, you, are you living your life in light of the day that you'll be with the Lord? Is that what's governing your time, energy, and money? There's a relationship between our generosity and our love for the Lord. There's a relationship between our generosity and our love for the people of God. So give to love God more. Give to love his people more. And third, give to, to know Jesus more. Give to know Jesus more. Paul's final appeal here, and it's incredibly powerful. It's one of the most powerful appeals in Scripture. Look, look at um, verse 9 with me. Right here, it begins. Oh, there we go. He says, for you know, I mean, I love this. For you know, for you know, he's making it very personal. Corinthians, you, you know this. <laughs> you, you know this. Christian here today, you, you know this. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, that though he was rich. Now, <laughs> Paul's using this language, but it's, it's, it's almost a little ridiculous. Like, what, how do we even talk about the wealth of Jesus? <laughs> I mean, it's Jesus. Everything is his. He is God. Everything, I mean, everything is his. He is God. He is with God the Father Almighty. He is eternal. The wealth of Jesus. Though he was rich, he was abundantly rich. I mean, everything is his. He, he actually was satisfied with what he had because he had everything. It, it's all his. And everything that comes with being rich, significance, Comfort, love. I mean, Jesus had perfect love from the Father. He had great significance. He's God. He had total comfort. He was with God in heaven. Though he was rich, you know this. You know that Jesus, though he was rich, for your sake became poor. And again, he didn't just become poor. I mean, again, it's an understatement. Think, what is the poverty of Jesus? What is, Jesus was condemned for us. Jesus was condemned by his father. He was outcast. He was forsaken. He was stricken. He had nothing. He was totally alone. What, what kind of poverty did Jesus experience? I mean, everything that comes along with poverty. I mean, you may not have a lot of money, but maybe you have some friends. You at least have hope in God. Jesus, for our sake, was totally forsaken, put out, was abandoned, was alone. You know, not to make this 90s movie day, but... I was thinking of the, there's a line in Shawshank Redemption. It's about a bunch of guys in prison. It's talking about the first night in prison, and one of the characters says, you know, they march you in to that prison. As naked as the day you were born. Your skin burning. You're half blind because of the delousing stuff that they throw on you. And when they put you in that cell, and those bars slam home, and you're all alone, that's when you know it's for real. 
your whole life blown away in the blink of an eye. Just think about the poverty of Jesus. He was condemned by God. He was stricken. He was forsaken. He was condemned by God. He endured our hell. He was totally forsaken. Jesus, though he was rich, immeasurably rich, for your sake became immeasurably, unthinkably poor so that you, by his poverty, might be rich, might be truly rich. True riches is to know God because everything is God's. So through you, you through his poverty, may be invited to know God. You may be rich. You, you know this grace, see. You know this grace. You, you know the grace of the Lord. He was rich. He was rich in every way. He became poor for your sake so that you in him might become rich. Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. And, and what Paul is saying is if you really know this, you'd be generous, <laughs> You'd want to become poor for others. It's, it's, it's one of the ways we identify with Jesus. In that poverty, in, in, in a sense, in making ourselves poor and giving away what we have, we, we can commune with Jesus. We can know Jesus. In our generosity with others, we know something of the Lord's generosity to us. Now, notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, give so you can be justified. <laughs> He doesn't even say give so that you can be loved by God. In fact, he says the opposite. He says you have been justified. You are loved by God. You've been richly loved by God. And so the only right response to that, if you share in this grace, is to love God, to be like Jesus, to love God's people. Give because God loves you. Give because he has justified you. Give because God identifies with you. Give because he has saved you. You know, I want to have a, a prayer of commitment here in a moment, but I want us to remind ourselves of this in the taking of communion. You know, the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread before his disciples and he said to them, this is my body given for you. <laughs> given for, I'm, giving my, I'm giving my life for you. And he said, this is my blood given for you. Let's meditate on what Jesus has done for us as we think about how we are called to give to him and to others. And so if you are a believer here today, I invite you to the table. Here in just a few moments, we're going to have stations around the church. And if you know Christ, if you're in the Lord, I invite you to come. I invite you to in the taking of this meal, be reminded of what Jesus has given you. And I pray that this would inform the way that we give ourselves to others. Now, if you're not a believer, if you're a guest or just trying to explore Christianity, I'm so glad you're here. It's good that you're here. But I just would ask you to refrain from this meal. The Bible actually says don't, don't take this in an unworthy way. Don't take this uh, outside of a relationship with Jesus. So when everybody comes forward on your aisle, you're, you're certainly welcome to walk forward, but maybe just, you know, just keep walking. You don't have to take the elements. Just observe the meaning and the beauty of this to those who are partaking. Let me pray, and then we'll come and take these elements together. <sighs> Father,
we know, those of us in Christ, we know the grace of the Lord Jesus. We know. Though he was rich, abundantly rich, he was made poor. He was put out. He was forsaken. He was stricken for our sake so that we, through his poverty, utter poverty, may be rich. Lord, we celebrate today how rich we are in Jesus. I pray you would use this meal now to remind us of how rich we are, to remind us of what we have in Jesus, and that it would even be for us an encouragement to be generous in other ways, with our time, with our energy, with our resources, with our finances, Lord. To Christ's covenant, but to, to all of your ministries, all of your work, Lord. We would be a, we'd be known as a generous people. We would be known as a people that live in light of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for our sake, he became poor. Pray, Father, that this would be pressed into our hearts even now as we eat and drink this meal together. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.